Amen. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the third chapter of the book of James. And we're going to talk about our words today. Let me read this over us. If you're there, feel free to read alongside to make sure that I don't say anything inaccurate because words evidently matter. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small small a fire sets ablaze a large force, and that the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Poison's not a word. Told you, words, they matter. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. For me, whenever I hear that a sermon is about to be about words, my inner legalist boils the entirety of it down to the idea that we should not curse. It is the lowest common denominator of Christian thought when we are talking about the power of our words. We should be people who do not say things that are inappropriate. And while the Bible is definitely taking us that direction regularly, regularly, that we would be more like Jesus in our speech, that our words would sound like the person who we claim to serve. The idea of our words being limited to things that we would say that are inappropriate is short-sighted because we know, every one of us, that there are words that we say that can cause help and can cause harm. So, as we break this text down today, I want us to consider a few things. Four things we'll look at. In verses 1 through 4, we see the power of our words. In verses 5 through 8, we see the problem of words. In verses 9 and 10, we see the potential of our words. In verse 11 and 12, we see the purpose of our words. One more time, the power of our words, verses 1 through 4. The problem of words, verses 5 through 8. The potential of words, verses 9 and 10. And the purpose of our words, in verses 11 and 12. Think again about the words that you have heard that have power in your life. For good and for bad. Let's think through some of the good ones to start with things that are good first. I love you. Good job. I do. These are all 
helpful, good words that we have used in an encounter, in interactions with people that we care for. Now think about the weight and the power of negative words in your life. Shut up. Stupid. Ugly. Fat. I hate you. There is weight to these words. The other night we took the kids to Santa's Wonderland in Bryan College Station. I texted one of our members who is a fan of the University of Texas. He told me he goes nowhere near that place. Uh, And it was my first experience going to Santa's Wonderland. Pretty overwhelming. And what's more overwhelming to me is not the number of lights that are there but how in the state of Texas we use 50% of the lights to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus and 50% of the lights to celebrate Texas. Divided down the middle. (laughs) While we were there, uh, we were just milling around in, in the food court and we noticed that there is a stage show that's about to come on. They are introducing Marshall Frostbite to us. Now, I did not know that Marshall Frostbite was a big deal. I did not realize that people were going to be taking pictures with Marshall Frostbite. I knew nothing about Marshall Frostbite. I did not know he existed until the other night. I was, going, I was on my way to order Gator Bites and a funnel cake. And Noli was in line to meet Marshall Frostbite. She wanted to spend just a few moments with the Marshall. And if you don't know who Marshall Frostbite is, he is a large snowman who wears a cowboy hat because in Texas we wear cowboy hats. And she is walking up to him, and I can just see this taking place in the distance. Again, I don't know much about him. But I can see what's happening. And Nellie stands there beside him, and I realize that she is posing for a picture with the Marshall. The problem is, neither Hope nor myself was there to take the picture. So she has her arm around Marshall Frostbite and he has his hand on her shoulder and you notice this large snowman lean into her and then she comes running over to us. And as she runs over to us, you can just tell when your kid's upset. I could tell when this kid was upset. You can always tell when Noli's upset. What did he say to you, Noli? He looked at me and said, Where are your parents, kid? (laughs) Now, that's funny to us. But I need you to know, as we walked out, we saw a statue of Marshall Frostbite, and Noli kicked him as we were... (laughs) Words matter. Those words will stay with her. Those words sat on her little six-year-old heart. Where are your parents, kids? My dad's over there eating gator bites, and he's knee-deep in a funnel cake. Not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because when you teach, you are able to use words for good and bad influence. And if you teach, there is weight to what you will say. The reason that James points out that the teacher should consider his words is because not only is he supposed to consider all that he is going to say, but how the words that he uses will affect the people that he says them to. And the snowball effect that comes with that. 
and how what we say, good or bad, can affect not just us, but everyone around us. Think about all the teachers in your life. For me, I remember my kindergartner teacher... Kindergarten teacher's name was Miss Sias. In first grade, I had Miss Tigner. In second grade, I had Miss Edmonds. In third grade, I had Miss Lashore. Her name was Miss Boykin, but she got married over the summer. I had Miss Martin in the fourth grade. Miss Patterson in the fifth grade. In sixth grade, they gave me multiple teachers. In seventh grade, I had more. I can name them all because of the influence they had, that small portion of time that I would spend with them throughout the day, the weight of your words, the things that they would say to you. Think about how the things that your teachers have said to you have affected and impacted what you do and how you do it. The impact of the words of a teacher that you have and the respect that you have for them and the damage that can be done when their lives seem to contradict their words. Not saying that they are perfect. Your Sunday regular teacher is not perfect. But we consider that what we say to one another and what we say as teachers has a snowball effect. It affects everyone around you. It was this sought-after place in the early church. James is pointing out that if you teach, you are increasing your opportunity to say the wrong thing. If we stumble, verse 2. In many ways, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. James references the idea of how your tongue controls all of you. Paul, when talking about the tongue, and talked about those who were not believers, used used these words a bit more expressive than James, where he says the throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is upon their lips. Talking about those of us who have not come into faith with Jesus. Our words outside of Jesus can never have positive, eternal impact. However, for the believer, our words can. We are in a place to choose to use words that bring honor and glory to God in the way that we care for one another. And we talk about, as New Testament Christians, the idea of behavior modification. Moralistic therapeutic deism is a phrase that was coined years ago, and pastors heard about it, and they all just ran rampant with it. That we would not be able to please God simply by the way that we behaved. Moral behavior. Here's the thing, friends. You cannot modify your behavior enough to gain God's love. However, for the believer, we should always be modifying our behavior because of God's love. We should seek to grow, to be more like Jesus, because the Christian should want to be more like Jesus. If we boil Christianity down to nothing else, am I choosing to be more like Jesus today with my words and my actions than I happened to be yesterday? And if the answer is no to that, there is a chance you are not being made more like Him in sanctification, and there is a possibility that you don't know Him at all. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. Consider ships, though they are very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. James is giving visual, practical illustrations to help us to see the problem that a small tongue can cause. Think about all of the things our tongues control. They control people, 
And when they control people, they can control their moods. Every pastor, as I looked at various sermons and sermon commentaries, a popular illustration to use in this scenario would be to talk about SeaWorld and how we have trained orca whales to do what we want if we give them the right snack. And I think about the idea here of of the visual that's here, that we're being told that we... Because our tongue is such a problem that we cannot control it, even though we can control all of creation. We can work and we can train bears to do things, and we can teach seals to do things. We can teach porpoises. Is it porpoises or porpoise? I'm not sure. We can teach them to do things, yet we cannot teach the human being to control their tongue. It is a restless evil. SeaWorld, what a very interesting visual that everyone likes to use. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Verse 5, we see how the power of words transitions to the problem of words. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. It doesn't take much. The reason that you have to build a fire pit is to keep a fire from spreading, to contain it. The, the other night, when we spent our evening uh, to celebrate Christmas, um, early November, there is a place for you to sled down a hill on manufactured snow. We all got in line, and we climbed to the top, and you had to carry your tube up and I had to carry a tube for a kid and because they can't carry things because they're children and we get to the top and everyone's in a lane and I watched as our kids would go down and they would just stop short of the person at the bottom because there is a human being at the bottom who is there to, to catch you in case things get bad I get in lane two and a young lady holds the tube while I get in place and she's going to push me down and she did grunt and she didn't even use words but that was offensive (laughs) but at the foot of my ramp was the smallest college girl I've ever seen and she was not standing anywhere near the front because she knew when my momentum got moving towards her I was going to send her into Oklahoma She's standing there bracing and praying at the exact same time. Because as I move, she knows that it's going to build up steam. What James is saying here about our words setting the world on fire is this. They, with a small spark, just a bit of momentum, don't just affect what's in their immediate surrounding. They can affect everything. How often do our words get to one person? Don't tell anyone that you heard this from me. That has turned to those words spreading to other people and to more people. How often does the anger in our voice not just affect the person who we happen to be showing that anger towards? It snowballs to the people that they talk to. Controlling our words matters. Controlling our words And it will take a lot to stop this. Six, the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of righteousness. It's placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire. And itself is set on fire by hell. 
That is bold language to communicate James's bold truth. When we talk about the tongue being set on fire by God's eternal condemnation, we are saying that it is a serious thing that God, in the way that God views our tongue. Think about Jesus when he is having a conversation with Peter. Jesus has just told Peter and the disciples how he's going to die. Peter says to him, with good intent, I will never let that happen to you. And the reply of Jesus is, get behind me, Satan. Boldness used to communicate when we say things that are that would move others' hearts away from God, that we are speaking on behalf of things that are contrary to God, which is, in effect, Satan and the devil and sin. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, fish, is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. This echoes what we see in the book of Genesis when we read every flying thing, every creeping thing. But there is no one who can tame the tongue. It is restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. Our words can drip with wickedness. Gossip starts in this small place. Sometimes it can be even with what we consider to be good intent as we share of how great a person's life seems to be for just two to three moments, then, for whatever reason, we turn from what is happening to what took place in their life before they came to know the person of Jesus or before they changed the trajectory of their life, and we begin to converse about what they were before and not who they are now, and we are immersed in it. It's not just gossip, though gossip's terrible. Think about the way that our words are used negatively. Gossip, anger, boasting, lying, criticism, slander. I was just letting off some steam, you may say. You're not a boat. Our words, there's so much problem there. And the problem can short sight the potential of them. Verses 9 and 10, go there with me. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessings and cursing come out of the same mouth. If you're with us for the first time, or you've not been with us for a long time, as we spent time in James, you may not realize that he's the half-brother of Jesus came to faith in Jesus post-resurrection because the resurrection changed everything. He would hear Jesus teach, and, and as he would hear Jesus teach, in my mind, when I imagine James, I almost imagine him absorbing the words of Jesus, but them simply being information for his head and not transformation for his heart. He may have even been challenged by them, but he wasn't changed by them. He just stood there taking in what Jesus said. And as he stood taking in what Jesus said, it is obvious that he would have heard Jesus deliver what we call the great commandment. It's obvious because the great commandment is very much present in this phrase that we've just read. The idea of blessings and cursings. Remember, the great commandment is in Matthew chapter uh, it's in Mark chapter 12. It's, it's in the Gospel of Matthew as well. It is bless God. Well, we would say that you bless God. You want to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to do that. And James here says that when you 
cursed human beings who are made in God's image. Though you may be blessing God with your mouth, you are cursing those that God created. You can't separate these two things. How is cursing your neighbor loving your neighbor as you love yourself? How is speaking ill of your neighbor loving your neighbor as you love yourself? How are we blessing God when we choose not to love our neighbor as we love ourselves with our words? You bless God and you curse people who are made in the likeness of God. These things should not be this way. So friends, if we're going to look at what it means for us to follow Jesus, love Jesus, care for Jesus, build one another up for the sake of Jesus, are we using words to bless God and to bless other people? James then closes with the purpose of words, verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour out sweet water and out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? So if you were to go to a spring, can you get, get good, clean, fresh water from it as well as salt water? Well, no. Can a fig tree produce olives? Well, no, because it's a fig tree and fig trees produce figs. Or a grapevine produce figs. No, a grapevine does not produce figs. It produces grapes or it would be called a fig vine, which is not a thing. James is pointing out that we should be overflowing with things that bring honor and glory to God because we are people who have been brought in to a relationship with God that is intended to honor and glorify Him. Those who have met with Jesus should spill out things that sound like Jesus, seem like Jesus, remind people of Jesus. So if we're going to look at this letter and we're going to consider what he's just said to us as he talks about our words, are there practical things that we can take, things that we can look at that would help us to ask the question, am I using my words in a way that honors God? One of my good friends, he's been reading the Proverbs for as long as I've known him. He actually has been reading them since he became a Christian. Because in his conversion, he had a pastor who spoke the wise words to him. You should read the wisdom of God for practical living found in the Proverbs. And the Proverbs regularly give us direction and guidance as to how to use our words. I have taken a few of those, and I'm going to give us some questions to ask as we consider what it means for us to live for Jesus' sake in this world and how these Proverbs can help the follower of Jesus to modify his or her behavior in a way that brings honor to God in the way that we speak. So Proverbs 15.1, if you're a note taker, may help you out. And it brings this question to mind. Should I say it? Should I say whatever it is that I'm going to say? Should I use the word that I, that I am planning to use? Proverbs 15, 1 reads this. Answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Should I say it? Here is the reason that we should ask this. How many times just so we can participate together. Have you been wounded by someone else's words? How many of you have ever been hurt by the words of someone else? Why would you want to cause anyone to feel the way that you felt enough to raise your hand just then? 
Proverbs 21, 23 tells us that too much talk leads to sin, that we should consider silence in these situations. 21, 23 of Proverbs reads this. The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. For the follower of Jesus, that is beneficial when everything inside us is stirring and causing us to want to rage out. Not only should we consider, should we say it, we should ask ourselves, how will it sound in regard to our tone? Because tone matters. I know that my tone gets me in trouble regularly. As I say things with no realization as to how I'm saying them. Proverbs 15, 28 reads this. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. So if we have met with Jesus, we should be thinking, are my words undoing all that God has done in me in the sight of the person that I'm talking to? How does it sound? 17.28, is silence better? Would silence be better in your situation? It reads this, Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. So we consider our tone and whether we should say whatever. The question, One question that hit me this week as I was preparing, as I was studying, in regard to the tone was this, what if God on Judgment Day spoke to me in the tone that I use to speak to other people? What if God was dismissive of me? What if God rolled his eyes at me? What if God in his frustration with me was hateful toward me? What if God made me feel less than? Well, God would never do those things for the person who's in Christ Jesus. But people who are in Christ Jesus, if we are not careful, have the potential to undo what God is doing in the lives of others through us simply by not thinking about how we're saying what it is that we say. Let's use our words helpfully. Let's use our words carefully. Let's use our words with intent to honor God together as a family of faith that God has called to this community in this place, in this time, to say that we do believe that Jesus is better. And because we believe that Jesus is that, it changes what we say and it changes how we say it. Here's what I want to do this morning, though. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask us not just to hear me talk about words. I want to ask us to think through using some of our words even now. Jared's going to play on, on the keys. And as he plays, uh, there is a chance that you may need to interact with the Lord personally. You need to spend some time in prayer with him, talking to him, asking him to, to teach you to be more like him. And I want you to feel free to do that. Feel, know this is an open space for that. Also, as he plays, maybe, just maybe, you should use your words to... Br- lift someone else in this room up. So I would encourage you to think through this. 
Maybe you're in a life group or you're in a, a, a different group at our church with someone in this room and you know that they need to be lifted up. And you have the potential this morning just to use your words, to go to that friend, go to that person who you spend time with and speak God-honoring words over them. Maybe you just need to encourage someone to edify, to exhort, to push someone on toward Christ-likeness. What if we used our words to be the people of God that He intends for us to be, for us to build the body together? If you need me, I'm in the back corner of the room. And I would love to pray with you. To tell you that God cares for you. But for those of us who are here, let's just take a few moments even now before we begin to sing together and build one another up for the sake of Christ and His kingdom in this community.